What's up, everybody, and welcome to the College Ology Podcast, the podcast where college meets science. I'm your host, Bondi Johnson, and today we're going to talk protein. A few quick things before we get into the show. A new episode of College Ology will be produced every Monday evening. Be sure to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed like Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, whatever you like to listen to your podcasts on. All links to social media, studies, and anything else relevant will be in the show notes. Now, let's get into it. You're listening to the Collegeology Podcast, where college meets science. Uh, is this going to be on the exam? Protein, protein, protein. Protein, tricky and quite tantalizing subject. You got protein bars, protein shakes, pretty much protein everything at this point. Is protein truly the ultimate macronutrient? There's a lot of confusion surrounding protein, and that's why today I have Dr. Michael Ormsby on the show to talk about protein, your body, and what science has to say about it. Welcome, Dr. Ormsby, and thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Happy to talk protein with you. Yeah, always. Protein, protein. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Will you just go ahead and give me and everybody a background of you, who you are, what you do? Sure. Uh, So I'm a professor here at the Florida State University. And I'm an associate director of the Institute of Sports Science and Medicine here. So our lab is the Human Performance Lab, Sports Nutrition Lab. And what we do is really work on bigger, faster, stronger in a number of different types of athletes and active individuals. And we also do some work with weight loss, body composition change, um, and health outcomes in various populations. So our nutrition side is pretty much protein dominant, but we do a lot of macronutrient interventions, a lot of supplement interventions in our mm-hmm. research, uh, a lot of exercise uh, interventions as well to see how we can improve health, fitness, body comp, performance, and in any number of right. scenarios. The whole shebang. Yeah. yeah. Everything. Um, so protein is, is tossed around a lot and it's, you know, people just always stress protein. Let's talk about protein and I feel like... When it comes to protein, especially in the realm of exercise, people don't actually really know what it's doing or what it does. So I want to talk uh, about protein on like a general, kind of a general scale of what exactly protein is. So I'm just going to go ahead and and lob that one to you. (laughs) Yeah, well, you're not off track. I mean, I... There's a lot of times I'll, I'll sh- if I showed you three different foods, could you pick out the protein food? So you probably could, but if I showed you a banana, what would you say that food is? A carbohydrate. All right, a carbohydrate. <laughs> so I've shown that to people before, and they think it's a protein food. So oh, the wow. first thing is figuring out what are protein foods, and the other example might be peanut butter. I say, what's your best source of protein? Oh, I eat a lot of peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's look at the fat nutrition facts label on a peanut butter right. jar. Sure, it's got protein in it, but it has an equal amount of fat. So if you're going to say it's a protein source, you probably should also say it's a fat source. Right. right. So there's, you know, there's some confusion around what exactly protein is, uh, without a doubt. And I think understanding, you can get basic lists of which, what protein foods are. Right. And then, uh, you know, the, the, if we're going to do this Tarantino style and start from the end, <laughs> what, what, what we do is basically build a plate, build, build each meal as a protein dominant meal. We mm-hmm. look over where's the protein first and we backfill with carbs and fats. Oh, okay. And so in our research and then in my own practice, that's how it always is. Where's my protein source? And then we build out from that. But there's a lot of misinformation as you're aware. So in general, most people think that at least in America, that people eat plenty of protein. Right. And maybe too much protein. Yeah. <laughs> is there such thing as too much? 
What's the dose that causes the best muscle protein synthesis or hypertrophy response over time? Right. Well, I would say it depends how old you are. It depends how hard you're working out. Right. There are a lot of things that people don't understand in and around. What about vegetarians? Can they get enough protein mm-hmm. to support a, an anabol- anabolic sort of um, environment in their yeah. body? Yeah, they just got to do it right. So there are a lot of reasons that I think people are confused about it. Um, I guess if we're starting at the top of that list, mm-hmm. do we eat too much in general? Well, our dosing for protein is based on body weight. Right. So a lot of times we are so heavy as a society that, yeah, we probably eat protein, but we're dosing based on body weight. So, for example, in our research on obese individuals, uh, many times, yeah, they're eating protein, but as a in a grams per kilogram right. dosing, they're far below the recommended yeah. daily allowance for protein. Right. So at, at 0.8, which is the current recommended daily allowance for mm-hmm. this, um, that's probably inappropriate for most people. It certainly is okay for some and a target if you're below it to try to reach. Right. But almost all of the research across the board in healthy, active individuals is is much above that 0.8 level. Right. Um, with few exceptions. Disease states and other issues in which the kidneys don't filter properly, that's a different issue. Right. Exactly. I'm talking about healthy, healthy. individuals for the most part. Uh, most individuals should be upping their protein intake and not just to put on muscle, but for other reasons, like it helps you stay fuller longer. Right. It's a good macronutrient in a number of ways. Right. So you, you did say vegetarians in there and I kind of want to touch on, on vegetarians, vegans, people who don't eat animal products at all. There's a difference in protein there, right? So you have your animal proteins, your plant proteins. What are, what are some of the differences of those that people should be conscious of if they are following a vegan or vegetarian diet? Probably the easiest thing to think about with those is we have to consider if a protein's complete or, or not. Right. And complete, does it have all of the essential amino acids that you need in order to have the result you want? And mm-hmm. let's say it's maintaining a healthy physique. Um, it's just harder with a vegetarian or vegan approach because you need to eat combinations of foods in order to have a complete protein coming into your body. Right. The most classic example is rice which is has protein in it and mm-hmm. beans, which has protein in it. <laughs> right. You have to eat both of those to have all of the essential amino acids coming into the body. Right, if right. you eat meat, they're all in there already. Mm-hmm. So you don't really have to worry about it. So it's just a smarter approach. You okay. just have to think about combining uh, different types of food sources in order to get everything you need. Right. But yeah, you can be a vegetarian, a vegan, and have no problems. And there's a lot of evidence now building to using those types of proteins, even as even in powders, right. um, where you might just have to have a little bit more of it, right. but you have the same result as if you were having a dairy-based protein like whey. Okay. And so you would have to have more. We're, talking, we're getting into bioavailability, right? So how much your body can actually take mm-hmm. in and use... And, and is that something that people should be worried about or really not that much? You'd be worried about it more at lower dosing. So like if you're not taking much in, mm-hmm. then I'd be really worried about it. Okay. Because if you're only taking a little bit, it, it has to be the right mix in order mm-hmm. to have the results you might want. But if you're having a good enough dose, then it it's probably not as big as issue as people make it. Right. You know, For example, many of those scoops that you might use in a powder that you buy would be like, usually they're 20 to 25 grams in a scoop and 
that amount will get you plenty of bioavailability and you can also reach what we call the leucine threshold, which is one of the branch chain amino acids, the leucine. You want to have around two grams, maybe two to three grams of it in that serving. You'll reach that mm-hmm. no problem with a 25 grand serving of a whey protein. Right. The, the trouble or the issue would be with a vegetarian protein, you might have to have 10, 15 more grams in what you're consuming to get that two to three grams of leucine. Okay. And so you just have to take a little bit more of it, but you ultimately would have the same result. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's, there's certainly ways to do it. You just have to be smart about when you're consuming, what you're consuming, how right. much you're consuming. Right. With it. And the 25 grand thing, I mean, that's kind of arbitrary, right? We, we yeah, sort exactly. of say that there's data that does show. So data indicate that in a young man, uh-huh. You know, you're talking, or woman, up to like 20, 25 years right. old is where the research is, that 20 to 25 grams is about maximal for muscle protein synthesis. Okay. So, but people always say, oh, so 25 grams, I can't digest and absorb any more than that. That's right. not true. It's the 20 to 25 grams piece is where you stop the muscle protein synthesis response, but more than that starts to do other things right. like stops more of the breakdown of muscle. So you would inhibit the muscle protein, protein breakdown. breakdown side of the muscle protein balance equation. Right. Um, and outside of muscle, again, like we said before, it helps you stay fuller longer and right. it contributes just general calories Various, for you. Yeah. And so you, you gotta be kind of aware of those issues. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, say over 40 years old, the data starts to change and to have that maximal muscle protein synthesis response, you almost have to have double the intake. So instead of 20 grams being where you have a good muscle protein synthesis response, now it's 40. People Mm. don't see that. So, and then as you get older and older, it's called anabolic resistance. So your, your resistance to being anabolic or growing muscle and for a number of different reasons, but in this case, your body doesn't respond to the amino acids as well to the protein dose. So you have to have more of it to have the same response. Right. People don't realize that. And so as they get older, they still say at that same dose, it's really not helping them like they think it is. Right. Um, so I think age has a lot of uh, influence clearly on a lot of different outcomes. Okay. But, but in this case, the type of protein and amount of protein you should be eating. Yeah, yeah. You did say, you said something about timing, and I know that you do a lot of research or have done a lot of research around protein timing and when you're eating that protein, not only, you know, how much you're eating, what you're eating, but how, like when. So what big of a role would you say that uh, timing of protein plays into actually getting to utilize it in its best way? Yeah, so it's it's hard to say straight out. I I would Uh say it's a secondary role to total protein intake in a day. So. If, if you're a person starting into this fitness world and healthy eating sort of mindset, uh, the first thing I would worry about would be just making sure you get the dose of protein in the entire day that you're looking for. Right. You know, so let's say typically I'll have folks aim for something high, like two grams per pound. Okay. So that's pretty high. Yeah. Um, uh, it, yeah. So it ends up being like, sorry, one gram per pound. Okay. So <laughs> it's 2.2 grams per kilogram. Right. Um, so one gram per pound. So say you weigh 200 pounds, you're looking at trying to get 200 grams. Usually people fall just short of that. And that really is where we want you to be. Yeah. Cause it's somewhere, the science is somewhere on 1.6 grams per kilogram of protein is where most people are sort of aiming for should be around. So if you go just higher than that and you miss just shy, it's you're, you're fine. Right. 
And in a healthy individual, going over is not going to do any harm. In fact, in overfeeding studies where they clearly overfeed people to try to have them overeat carbs, fats, or proteins, yeah. it's only the proteins. When they overfeed proteins, they don't gain any body weight. Really? So it's a really interesting thing about nutrient partitioning. And a lot of research from um, a researcher in South Florida mm-hmm. named Dr. Antonio has gone into this. They overfeed people for like a year on protein, really high doses, like 3.3 grams per kg, somewhere wow. as high as 4.4 grams per kg, <laughs> and they don't gain fat. They don't yeah. gain fat. So it, 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 the thermic effect of food goes up when you're right. eating protein, meaning that you actually start burning more calories just to digest and absorb it. Um, there's there's a number of reasons that we don't know why it's, why it's kind of not behaving as it would. Yeah. But if you overfeed the other macronutrients, you tend to see... Right. Some right. other issues with fat gain in particular. Right. Um, so for, from that standpoint, if I'm going to overeat one of them, I'd, I'd do it with protein. <laughs> yeah, I'd take your chances with protein. Right. Yeah. I mean, I actually think that's really interesting too because protein even has an impact on insulin, which is you know the most anabolic hormone. Actually, it tells everything to grow. So you would think that that would have some sort of some impact on that. But I mean, obviously, like you're saying, they, didn't, they don't see weight gain. So it's, they don't. I mean, it... Yeah, they're not exactly sure how the partitioning's working or yeah. or what's going on. The the metabolic rate does increase, but it's it's pretty minimal. I think people that's kind of a different podcast, but people overplay the the metabolic changes from resistance training and all these things. Right. But there's something going on. Metabolism right. does go up when you have these this higher protein intake. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it in a couple of different cases. There's other research that looks at uh, let's let's go to the nighttime period. You're asking about timing. Yeah. And we do a lot of work with. Right. what to eat before going to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, before we started in that area, there was some work already completed that looked at folks who had a high protein, a high fat, or a high carbohydrate diet. And when you go to sleep at night, your metabolism will drop right. as you're sleeping because right. you're not doing, you're doing anything. anything. <laughs> right? You're trying to recover <laughs> and repair. Yeah. But if you were on the higher protein diet, it went down, but not as far as it did on people with a high carb or a high fat okay. diet. So okay. you sort of were resistant to that huge drop. So overnight, you're still burning more calories on this higher protein diet. Right. Um, so perhaps that's going to regeneration, repair of muscle or whatever you're looking for. Mm-hmm. But we were thinking not long term initially, just acute. What if, you know, the people when I looked around and I was an athlete going through college and then tried to stay real active from then on, the people that I saw were the leanest most physically fit individuals yeah. ate before they went to bed. Right. But then you look on TV and you get these messages from media saying, stop eating at six, seven, stop seven, eating oh, yeah. at seven o'clock cut off. Or, yeah. You know, you're going to have huge problems and yeah. you'll die tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> and it just didn't work. It didn't work with what I knew. No. And then even in, in, if you look at the most extreme cases like bodybuilders and physique competitors, right. they eat before they go to bed at oh, yeah. night. And it's usually a protein-dominant source. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back to the old research done, there was clearly a lot of data that showed eating at night made people have a lot of health problems. But when I dove into it, it wasn't a protein meal. It was a mixed mm, okay. macronutrient meal. Right. A lot of times it was in night shift workers who were, who were not sleeping all night. They were working through the night. And their choices of food was, was essentially vending machines. Right. <laughs> um, so, so that's a different case. Yeah, of course. Or it was in people who had something called nighttime eating syndrome. Right. And those individuals eat a huge majority of their calories uh, in the nighttime right. when they wake up and eat. So barring those two scenarios of nighttime eating syndrome and, and night shift workers, there wasn't any. There were very few <laughs> data to, right. to show anything. Um, 
anyway, we, we said, let's just see, let's just see mm-hmm. what happens. So we started feeding people a protein shake that was consisted of whey protein. Um, another one that consisted of casein protein, another one that was a carbohydrate drink. And then there were like placebo drinks we gave them that tasted okay. like it, but didn't have any calories. Yeah. And in young fit men, the, one of the first studies we published out of that, that all of that work, um, those individuals who didn't have anything. So the placebo had kind of the worst metabolic outcome in an acute setting. If you had anything else, whey, casein or carbohydrate the next morning, your metabolism was higher than if you didn't have it. So it was like, all right, so that means, and we're measuring eight hours later, they drink it, they go to sleep, come back to the lab eight hours later, they still don't have a problem. Right. And fast forward to now we've done a hundred studies on this. It seems like, and we've done this in fit women, fit men, obese women, obese men, uh, the longest we've done so far in our lab is four weeks of time consistently taking it at night. And by and large, most of the data shows no, no change at all. So is that bad news? Not necessarily. If you frame it as now you have a choice of something you can eat at night right? and it does not make you put on any weight, Mm -hmm. it may make you gain more lean mass over time (laughs) and it could help you with metabolism. Yeah. You know, you're, you're looking at a group of people, many people who just anecdotally say I'm hungry at night before I go to sleep, you have some options. Right. And we've done it with some whole foods now with cottage cheese, which is a casein dominant Mm -hmm. um, food source that does have carbohydrates in it as well. But again, no differences in overnight fat metabolism or morning metabolic rate. Right. Um, yeah. So we're doing cool things now, putting probes into people's belly fat to see, all right, what's, what's going on at the cell level in terms of lipolysis or the ability to mobilize fat from fat stores. And again, so far, we've done this in obese men and mm-hmm. fit women. No change at all in the ability to mobilize or burn fat through the night, even if you have these drinks. Right. So for me, it's an advantage. Yeah. It shows that, that something's going on where you can have this. It might help with repair and recovery. Right. I'd say the biggest thing in that that type of timing, the pre-sleep timing, mm-hmm. is it's one of those cases where it's not going to hurt you and it might help. So, so why not take yeah, advantage exactly. of it? Exactly. You know, if you're interested in health and fitness and muscle and things. That, yeah. Yeah. And there's probably an advantage to just having that type of a mindset. Right. Um, yeah. So, so that's kind of where we went with that timing. The other piece of timing that people talk about is uh-huh. like, you know, right after Around your workout, exercise, right. You've anabolic got window, man. You only got 30 minutes to get your 30 shake minutes. In. You, got, you got two minutes. <laughs> so, you know, they make a lot of spoof YouTube videos yeah. on this with people <laughs> rushing home to get a shake or something. <laughs> Um, and none of that really applies to most people. Right. Um, the window is bigger than we think. There's some right. people who are coining this now as the garage because it's bigger than the window. <laughs> you know, you have a lot of time to get that food in. So yeah. again, it's another scenario where there, there are some studies that are showing very small benefits to doing it immediate, immediately, you know, over time. Mm-hmm. Um, Again, the first rule of thumb comes back to total protein intake in the day. If that's right. all dialed in and you have a and then you're you know, organized enough to take care of your nutrient timing around your workout, it probably will help a little bit. Right. It might be most beneficial for someone like a bodybuilder who every little bit of muscle mass counts. Right. But for the average person, it's just not as big a deal as mm-hmm. we thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, clearly it's a good timing to get some nutrients in if you have available to in your bag or in your car or something to grab a shake or in your, your dorm or wherever you're headed, then do it. 
because um, it won't hurt and it might help. Right. But you don't have to be paranoid or crazy about it. You don't yeah, exactly. have to carry around your jug of whatever in Whatever's the in weight there. room. I mean, <laughs> you, it's just not required at that point. Yeah. There are other reasons to eat after working out, mm-hmm. particularly if you're like an endurance athlete or you've gone through a lot of your stored glycogen, your stored carbohydrate. You're going to want to restore that. Especially if you have multiple workouts in a day. Yeah. If you're that type of person, yeah. it becomes very important. Right. What I was talking about in the first scenario is people who just work out once a day or every other day. As long as you're eating like a normal human being within eight hours, you'll be no different than if right, you had it immediately right. or not. Right. So it's just not a huge deal unless you're doing multiples, which some people do. Some tra- yeah, yeah, exactly. It's more elite athletes definitely have those morning workouts after like later than... Yeah. Um, will you briefly just kind of distinguish between whey, isolate, uh, hydrolyzed protein and casein? Cause there's, we've kind of thrown those out, but I feel like some people might not yeah. even really know what the difference is. Yeah. Again, there's different ways of manufacturing products. And so if we start at the top, there's the biggest two are whey and casein, right? Both dairy products. Mm-hmm. Um, whey is by and large considered a faster acting protein. So you take it in, it gets absorbed quickly, it spikes the amino acid values in your blood quickly, and it comes down quickly. Mm-hmm. So most people use that as like this post-exercise time period, right. something that's just fast to get in the system. Um, and it's just very popular because it's really not all that expensive in the whole scheme of things. Casein, on the other hand, also a dairy product, is considered to be the slow digesting, slow absorbing, kind of a drip amino acid drip type of a scenario. Right, right. So we tend to feed that at night based on these this information where it would kind of drip into your system all night long while mm-hmm. you're sleeping. We're not sure if that exactly holds true at night anymore. Okay. But in, certainly during the daytime, there's quite a bit of evidence to show that a way would be fast and casing would be slow. Right. Now within those categories, you can process foods a number of different ways. And so basically you can get more purified versions of it. So some of the whey versions, for example, might have some trace amounts of um, lactose in it, might have some other filler type products in there just from the the processing. Then you get to like hydrosylates and isolates and hydrosylates. And they're just, they become more purified as you go, kind of more pre-digested. They might even get in the system a tiny bit faster. But again, for most people, that doesn't matter at all. Right. So, So I think it's not as big a deal as most people think. Um, really if you're, if you're worried about like drug testing and stuff, then you have to look like the certifications yeah. for yeah. third party testing, but this is totally different. It's, it's, it's really just a matter of getting it in and convenience. You right. can, by the way, you right. can do all of this with whole foods and not have to have a powder. You can, it's just hard. Mm-hmm. So convenience, everybody likes a little bit of convenience. So if you don't have time to sit there and eat another chicken breast or another steak or another salmon or another whatever it is, right, right, or the other way, rice and beans, right, all Tofu, different kinds whatever, of yeah, yeah. whatever you're going to have, yeah, then why not have something that's super convenient? You know, right. plus they make some of these now that have you know greens included. So now you're getting some of your your green products included right, in what right, you're taking, right. and some of them have caffeine in them. So yeah. you know, you're, that's what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that would go to, that would stay true for, or hold true for bars as well. You know, if it's, it's one of those things that, you know, whole foods probably going to be your better option, but you know, if, if you're in a pinch or you're, you're on the go somewhere, then it's probably going to yeah, be good. I mean, I, I, 
everybody needs a little bit of convenience. Right. 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 And, and I think that no matter who you ask, they're busy all day long. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yep. so, so if you have something you can throw in your bag that won't spoil on you, like a bar or something, then that's yeah. a good idea. Um, taking packets or powders around is, is easy enough to mm-hmm. make as snacks and things throughout the day. And that kind of brings up meal timing. Like, should we eat two meals or three meals or six meals or right. 10 meals or how many times should we be eating throughout the day? And that's, I'll bring this up just briefly because it's a whole other topic. But yeah. <laughs> um, many studies have come out recently showing that multiple meals in a day and not necessarily any advantage to that metabolically. All right. But if you look at the details again, they're eating larger mixed meals, mm-hmm. right? Meaning fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. Right. We've done a study in the past three or four years now um, where we gave six, three versus six meals a day, but they were all high-protein meals. Okay. And it turns out that there was a metabolic advantage as long as the meals were all protein-dominant. And, mm. and in that case, we were able to show continued higher thermic effects of food and metabolism kind of buzzing uh, throughout the day okay. by having these higher protein meals throughout the day. Right. Dr. Arciero was the lead on those studies and he coined the term protein pacing. So you kind of pace it uh, through the day. Right, he does right. like six times a day. Um, so yeah, there's some, there's some reasons to do it, but I would also say if you don't like to eat that much, then just don't do just it. Don't, right. <laughs> and if you only like to eat twice a day, all right, let's work within what you're capable of sustaining and then throw in how do we get the protein amount that you need. Right. I wouldn't really recommend that second option just because huge boluses of protein will last you only so long Mm -hmm. and you could be missing a large portion of the day where you could be in a phase where you're repairing, regenerating, or building muscle that you're missing. Right. So your drive home message for people would be, you know, worried, you said, you know, from the top down, it's the number at the end of the day, how much you're getting all throughout the day altogether. And then you can kind of go to the timing and then you can kind of get into the nitty gritty of, you know, yeah. maybe how many times throughout the day. Yeah, without and, a doubt. And here's a good example. If, if you're only thing, if you out of the gate and the only thing you're worried about is, is what you're going to drink right after your workout, but then you don't need enough the rest of the day, you're still going to be catabolic and losing muscle. Okay. Right. right. So right. You, you can't really just focus there. So you're, you're exactly right. Focus on the whole day. First, once you get that dialed in, it's clockwork to get the amount you need each and every day, mm-hmm. then start going deeper and and f- honing in on exactly what you need pre and post workout yeah. and then pre sleep. And all of a sudden you've got this 24 hour cycle of eating. Right. You know, if you're very, if you're very physically active or at least doing things throughout the day and you're studying at night or whatever you're up to, mm-hmm. you need to fuel those processes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and if you're going to do any kind of hard workouts where you're really pushing yourself, if you forget to eat, you know that your work is going to suffer <laughs> yeah, in many exactly. ways. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, you pretty much covered everything. I had some other questions that you tackled way earlier on when you started talking. Right. So thank you again for coming on. Where can people find you? As far as the work you do and... and Oh, yeah, yeah. So, man, if you're interested in actual, like, reading research, the best place for any research outlet's Mm going to be your PubMed Mm -hmm. sources or even, like, Google Scholar sources. Right. And on there, you can type in these topics, like, pre-sleep feeding. You can type in my name or the lab or Florida State, (laughs) and you'll get get quite a bit on that. Um, But, yeah, those are some really good outlets to see our our research. And then we've done some other cool outlets in terms of... um, tutorials and like take home uh lectures in terms of how to change body composition through diet and exercise 
So you can find those on Amazon or Google oh, okay. or whatever. Okay. Um, for anyone who's interested in uh, courses on this, we have what's got one. It's twenty four lectures that are each thirty minutes each. Uh, that take you through the real basics. You don't have to be a biochemist to understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it takes you through all of it, from what are these nutrients exactly to uh, what supplements might be useful for you, all the way through different types of exercise. Perfect. Yeah, and I'll I'll put links to all of those things down in the the footnotes. So, um, thank you again for coming on. It was a blast. Definitely have to. All right, you're welcome. Gonna do it again. You're welcome. Uh, that's a wrap for today. I hope you guys had some fun and learned some things along the way. Remember to rate and review the podcast if you liked it to help me out and keep an eye out for the next episode, which will be out on Monday night. You've been listening to the Collegeology Podcast, where college meets science. Until next time.